Coming up on Stu Does America, Jason Kilmeyer breaks down Biden's Afghanistan dishonesty. Jason Buttrill tells us how much worse the Taliban situation overseas is going to get. And as usual, the mainstream media has nothing useful to say about COVID. So that's why you come to me. Let's do the rise of Delta. Stu Does America. The rise of Delta. <laughs> it kind of sounds like a movie, doesn't it? You know what? One thing I will say about this movie is this movie sucks. I hate this movie. Haven't we seen this movie before? This is like a remake of the one they released in March of 2020. Rise of Delta blows zero stars. Um, I wind up talking a lot about COVID, as you know. I mean, this show basically was born with the virus. We launched in, I think, February of 2020. Some people blame me for bringing the virus uh, to, to, to America. And I, I, look, I have a condo in Wuhan, but I don't think that's important at all. Um, it's interesting to kind of look at the, the way this, this goes down with the media and COVID. I get so many people coming in and talking to me about things like vaccines and things like COVID. And I, th first of all, I'm not very fun at parties. Uh, and so I guess this is where people go. Tell me about that really uh, devastating virus that's going on. But I think or one reason why people, conservatives in particular, come and talk to me about this stuff is because it's really hard, I think, to drill down into what is true and what isn't. You have one side of the world where it's like constant hype machine. Uh, it's fear porn. Every single thing is the end of the world. And everything is, every single thing is scaring you. You should be putting on masks. Why are you killing grandma? And on the other side, sometimes, you know, this isn't true with all conservatives, of course, but there's a lot of people who kind of just don't want to talk about this stuff at all. They want to deal with it at all. Um, you know, there's on the far, far side, you have people who are super skeptical to the point of, you know, 5G is what's cause, causing it. And, and you're injecting uh, microchips and, and all of this. And then you kind of have some people who are just... Uh, you know, looking at stuff online, maybe looking from, at stuff from conservative sources that are good on a lot of things, but maybe don't, isn't reflecting what you're really seeing in your community. Um, I get that a lot. You know, you know, we talk about, you know, there's a lot of stuff if you look at a lot of the vaccine stuff. And, you know, I'm a, a big advocate for uh, the vaccine. Of course, not an advocate at all for the mandates. Uh, but you see, like, that's a good example of it where. You'll see like a Fox News audience that gets a lot of stuff that's you know, more on the skeptical side of the vaccine. And that's fine. I mean, I don't I don't I don't mind people seeing all the information. Let this product speak for itself. Talk to your doctor. If you got real questions, don't go to your stupid talk show host. But I think there's a, there's a there's a there's a gap there from, you know, the average Fox News viewer is what's I think 68. And we know that about 90% of people above 65 are vaccinated. So there's lots of people who have been vaccinated and are going through this and watching Fox News. So it's never clean on these lines. So I get people coming and asking me these questions all the time. So let's go through some of the information, some of the questions I get fairly regularly. And one is about Delta. Is the rise of Delta even for real? The media has hyped a million things throughout the last couple of years, and most of them have not actually occurred. We could go on and name a million of them. But Delta actually did do pretty much what was feared by scientists and, uh, you know, by some in the media. Uh, it really is more contagious than the previous variant, and it really did kind of take over the COVID scene. It's the big star at the party. Uh, in mid-June, Rochelle Walensky said Delta would be dominant in the next couple of months. That dominance, meaning above 50 percent, 
the dominant virus, uh, variant of the virus that actually happened in the next couple of weeks. Uh, let me show you how fast this happened. This is a weekly chart uh, from the CDC. You see the orange, oh, by the way, it's Chartapalooza Day. Uh, you have orange bars there that you see on the left starting in, the, in uh, May. They get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger as you go across. And you see that's the Delta variant growing. So back in May, it really didn't exist at all. By, you know, July, it was the overwhelmingly dominant variant. So it happened pretty quick and they kind of happened as they said it would happen. What does it mean exactly? Let me show you uh, the... Uh, the, the way this looks right now. And this is something that someone asked me the other day, like, I, I'm going to go get a COVID test. How are they going to know it's Delta, though? Are they going to test me for Delta? Well, the question is, if I get COVID, is it Delta? The short answer to that is yes. Uh, we don't test every sample that, that gets uh, put out there. If you, if you go and you get a COVID test, they're not necessarily testing your sample for Delta. It's sort of like polling. They take a sample from around the country and then see how fast it's spreading. It's kind of like polling. So it's not exact, but it's close. Here are all the variants right now, according to the CDC, and what percentage makeup they have. And if you kind of look here, we can go look at the next slide and highlight Delta. Uh, here it is in that little red box. It, uh, Delta accounts for 86.1% of all cases right now. There's a little bit of a range of uncertainty, but that's about right. Most cases are the old school Delta classic. We'll call it Delta classic. However, you may have seen the headlines. What is Delta Plus? Delta Plus seems like they're just making stuff up at this point. Basically, what happens when you have a variant like Delta and it gets really big, it has its own little children, its own little family tree. And so there are three subvariants, if you want to call them that, of Delta. Uh, and one of them is called AY3. AY3 is a Delta variant, but just a little tweaked. It doesn't seem to do much different honestly, but it's just a, t a slight difference um, in, in the actual structure. But we're talking about 12.3% of cases there. Add those two up, you're at 98.4%. There's another 0.4% of other variants of Delta. So basically, if you get COVID now in the United States, you got the Delta. Congratulations. You're a big star. Uh, and this is one of those things where I think people look at uh, this and it seems like an excuse, right? You know, like, oh, oh, you've got this new variant and now uh, we all have to shut down again. It's not crazy to believe that because we've seen it so many times, right? I think that's the problem. Um, but in reality, like Delta did come. It isn't necessarily more deadly, but it is, does seem to be uh, considerably more contagious and spreads among people like wildfire. That's why it's a big deal right now. It's why you're seeing a lot of these stories kind of pop up and more people you're seeing in the actual news who are getting COVID. Um, I want to talk about another part of this, though, because a lot of this is just looking for southern governors that might be threats to the presidential administration of Joe Biden and seeing what we can pick apart. So. Let's look at Florida. Uh, Florida, obviously, Ron DeSantis is kind of the big conservative star right now. Is Florida really that bad or is this hype? There's a couple ways to look at this. Number one, Florida is having a real rough stretch. They had a rough stretch around this time last year. Um, there's a good argument to be made that you get a really hot temperature in August in Florida. Everybody goes inside. No one wants to be outside and we get the rise of COVID. You're seeing it all over the South right now. I mean, the South is hit really hard right now. Mississippi, Louisiana, um, you know, Texas is, is getting up there as well. Florida is really bad. One of the worst uh, states in the union right now. And 
It's so the, right now we're seeing this is basically as bad as Florida has had it since all of this started. This is the hospitalizations chart uh, for Florida. And you see that uh, the large lump there, kind of the second lump, uh, uh, the biggest one previous to this time was back in last summer. They uh, had another uh, wave uh, like everybody else did kind of in the uh, turn of the new year. And then this one is actually outshine. Has, there's more hospitalizations for COVID than at any other time since the beginning of the pandemic. So if you look at it that way, it's pretty bad. And it, it's might we might be seeing the top soon, but we don't even really have a peak yet. There are some evidence that in other states that got this wave earlier, places like Missouri, Nevada, Arkansas, you're seeing a sort of top of that wave. And if you see with the hospitalizations, if you've been on this, you know, listening to this show for a long time, you know that the hospitalizations is the most reliable stat. Um, it, it doesn't have the big ups and downs with holidays and things like that. People at the hospital are there all the time. So there's always somebody there at the hospital. So that stat is really the most reliable, and we like to look at it as much as we possibly can. Um, now, it's interesting to look at this because people are saying how bad it is in Florida. And a lot of this is just to target Ron DeSantis. I would, of course, defend DeSantis on liberty grounds, even if things do go poorly. But how poorly are they going? Are they going Cuomo poorly, I guess is the standard here. Now, DeSantis, there's no accusations that he's touching all the people around him, so I don't want to say that. But people are saying he's death Santis, right? He's this terrible, terrible guy, and he's killing all these people because he won't put on mask mandates or something like that. Anyway, here is the New York death chart. Now, you see New York had a really big initial spike, as we all might remember, had another flare-up towards the uh, beginning of this year, and it might be starting to turn up just a little bit now. To give you perspective... Let me give you the line where Florida is right now. That's currently Florida. So, yes, there is. And, and New York and Florida have about the same population. So there's no difference really there. Florida is lower than the New Year's bump that New York had a lower level and much, 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 much lower than that initial March of 2020 and April of 2020 bump. The point here is that perspective is important. Everybody zooms in on these charts and doesn't look at them uh, together. This is not Cuomo situation. This is not going back to New York. It's as bad as Florida has had it right now. And that sucks. But there's still a lot to uh, to look at and say, OK, look, liberty is important, too. And right now, with a vaccine that's available to everybody who wants to get it, you know, like this is it's time for people to be big boys and girls and make their own choices. That's where we are in this pandemic. And to me, that means that we're past the worst part of the pandemic. Media is going to keep trying to scare you. Tomorrow, we're going to spend a little bit more time going through some of the other questions that I've had on vaccines and the boosters and all of that. So we'll do that tomorrow. Back in a second. If you watch the news coverage about Florida, now's the time to buy a home in Florida. I mean, everyone's just trying to escape Florida, right? That's always oh, the opposite. Everyone's trying to escape New York. Hmm, it's weird. Realestateagentsitrust.com is a place to go. And I will say so many people have looked at the last year and made some real uh, changes in their life. Uh, a lot of people have changed them, themselves and said, you know what? Maybe I don't want to commute every single day into the office anymore. I want to work from home and spend more time with my kids. Some people have said, you know what, I don't want to work in New York and pay all these taxes or in California and pay all these taxes. I want to go to 
to Nashville. I want to go to, to Austin. I want to go to Dallas. I want to go to uh, Tampa. I want to go somewhere where there's some freedom. And if there's a problem, they don't start cracking down on me all over again. People are moving all across the country. And if you're one of those people, your business is moving maybe, realestateagentsitrust.com is the best place to go to find the best real estate agent in the area you're going. If you're selling a home, incredibly important right now, as you know, with the market as hot as it is, you've got to make sure you're doing the best that you can. This could be the most uh, important financial transaction you ever make in your life. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Happy to welcome to the program counterterrorism uh, and foreign policy expert Jason Kilmeyer. Jason, how's it going? Stu, thanks for having me. I do appreciate it. Um, although I wish it was under different circumstances, I'm so incredibly frustrated by this entire situation. So let me start here. Did it need to be this way? Did this, did this need to happen? Absolutely not. Uh, this is a nightmare, Stu. And this administration are, are making claims about the planning effort uh, and about the other things that they claim to have done uh, that simply don't hold water. And, and the evidence of that is obviously everywhere on our screens in high definition, but it's also revealed by reporting over the past couple of months, basic unanswered questions about the programmatics here, how they were gonna get people out. Were we gonna sign regional basing agreements before departing? Would we provide support to the Afghan government and in what capacity after the fact they were allowing themselves to be pinned down on none of it? Yeah, it really is shocking to me I, because I, I'm a skeptic. I'm, I'm conservative. I'm a, I'm skeptic of government generally. I usually believe they're going to screw everything up. Uh, and I'm not a Joe Biden guy either. So none, none of this leads me to think that they were going to do a good job with this. Yet I'm still flabbergasted by how terrible this is, has gone. And I'm, and I'm crushed by the fact that people in Afghanistan who helped us through these last 20 years, the people who fought for this country and tried to do something valiant over there are, are I mean, everything they worked for, I feel like, has been turned around here. And because of basic precautions and basic planning mistakes has been thrown away. Am I wrong to think this way? You're not. And, and I tell you what, it, this type of failure actually transcends partisan politics. That's mm -hmm. how bad this is. Um, it's a little after eight o'clock right now uh, for the viewers. Um, it's almost dawn in Kabul. And Stu, some number in the thousands of Americans are right now figuring out how to get to an airport that has a single runway uh, in a city with Taliban checkpoints. Um, so this is an unacceptable level of government performance. We self-govern. It's up to us to hold our government accountable. Um, they're failing here. The question now is, in a post-presence um, Afghanistan, will we hold them accountable for what they're calling the over-horizon counterterrorism approach? We're going to have to pay close attention. Yeah, I want to get into the their approach going forward here in a second, because you brought up something really important there. But I want to stay on this for one more second. The the excuses that have come from the from the Biden administration and, and their allies, they say they couldn't keep the status quo. We couldn't stay there with a small force and help the Afghans and just guard the stuff that we built, our own embassy, our own bases. We couldn't do those things um, because they were locked into this bad agreement that had been signed previously. What do you make of, of, of their way of trying to talk themselves out of this? 
Uh, one, I think that, you know, it's never good form if you're making those types of excuses. Think about their plan to convince people that this was not Saigon. They just literally went on the Sunday shows and said, this is not Saigon. <laughs> like it's, it's a very crude and sort of rudimentary um, approach. But I, I want to be clear, when Joe Biden spoke yesterday about contingency planning, he misdirected. He said that they had done the planning, the evidence is not there. And, and how do we know that? We can review the public statements of DOD officials, of NATO officials, um, and all the other involved parties um, where they said, well, we're still gonna figure that part out or we're developing the programmatics. Uh, um, Assistant Defense Secretary Hicks, let me give one example of this. Um, when questioned about providing air support to the Afghan government, she said, we will be developing that program separately from the CT support. It doesn't sound like there ever was a program developed. <laughs> it certainly doesn't look like it. I'll say that. Uh, watching what happened here. And, uh, you know, the fact that they were so far off in their idea of what was going to happen is a real problem uh, as well. Part of their, I, the, it, the seems their defense is to say, look, the American people don't support this. They want, they want the troops out of Afghanistan. Uh, we don't, we can't, I can't hand this on to a fifth president, he kept saying. Uh, you know, this is the fourth president that's had to deal with this conflict. I won't hand it off to a fifth. But isn't that just a, a misdirection from what people are really talking about? I don't think it's that people want troops to be there forever. What they want is this to be handled in some sort of competent way as if we knew what we were doing. Isn't that the real issue? It, it is. And again, um, you know, I, many, many years ago, I worked in accounting and there's a phrase, the ledger reveals. Mm. We know for a fact that they didn't do the sufficient planning because if they had, right, we wouldn't have seen people clinging to our airplanes. We would have processed the SIV applications in time and we would have had better and earlier instructions for the American citizens whose lives are now at risk. And so when they are attempting to change that debate, right, or argue anybody who is disagreeing with us is, is you know, um, forcing this on to the legacy of the next president, it's not, it's not true. There, there is a fair argument that staying longer would not have appreciably, cha appreciably changed, right, the nature of the capabilities of the Afghan government. Fair argument. but. When you see the scenes uh, that have been playing out, again, in high def on all of our screens, their arguments just don't hold water. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it just, I mean, and the, another one of their arguments that you brought up is this over-the-horizon counterterrorism strategy. Now, you got to explain to people what this is, but it's important for us to remember that while we all want Afghan schoolgirls to be able to go and be educated, and that's an important thing, and I, you know, I don't dismiss it, but it's not necessarily, there's a lot of bad regimes around the world, and we're not involved with every single one of them. You can't be. We are in Afghanistan to protect America and Americans around the globe. Uh, we are there to stop terrorism. We were there, obviously, because our buildings were falling down in New York City. That's why we were there. And leaving might make us feel good and say, well, you know, we have to let them defend themselves. But if we don't have an actual strategy to, to stop terrorism going forward, we're going to be dealing with this all over again. What is this new strategy that they're trying to propose for the, for the region and can it work? Stu, this is critically important. Um, we're, we're, we're casting blame for everything that's happening right now 
um, as it relates to withdrawal, the more important discussion for America as a very sacred anniversary approaches, but also just generally, is how are we going to keep our safes, ourselves safe without a physical presence? So the, the, the granular detail level at the policy level is for us to essentially use air power. Um, and, and Joe Biden compared this to our approaches in Yemen and Syria, Somalia and elsewhere. But I want to be very clear, that approach, attempting to apply that to Afghanistan, um, is not only unproven, but each of those efforts relied on a nearby regional base. They relied on intelligence networks on the ground to include not just run by our own agencies, but allies, Mm. um, and the ability to rapidly respond. We have none of that with the regional posture that they have set up running drones from four to six hours from the border of Afghanistan um, at the same time that our intelligence picture will darken. Um, this is a risky point. And, and, and allow me one more, which is to say, and more broadly, you made the point about buildings falling down, Stu. The reality is that our battle against militant Islam continues whether we want to be in Afghanistan mm. uh, or not. We've had to chase this threat around the globe. Uh, um, that's the nature of a generational threat. Yeah, no, you're totally right about that. This is not just one situation. It's it's it is ongoing. And, you know, as you explain the details of this over the horizon approach, which can be useful in certain circumstances, and maybe it even could be useful in in Afghanistan. But one way it could be useful in Afghanistan, if we continue to hold the giant air base we had there, uh, it would be a lot easier to be able to do these types of things. Um, I, I keep coming back to this idea that And this has become, I think, was always popular maybe on the left and it's become more popular on the right, which is, you know, to look at, at, for example, Afghanistan and just call it our longest war. We need to end our longest war. And I feel like that's dangerous thinking in a lot of ways. You know, we had shorter wars with much, much worse outcomes, right? We had wars that killed, you know, tens of thousands of people in one day. We have, we we can't look back fondly at the old world wars and say, well, at least they ended quickly. A much more important metric to judge it on is, are we protecting the American people, of course? And are we able to minimize losses uh, with our own uh, military? Is looking at essentially the calendar the wrong way to judge a war? It is, and I and I think the reality of most of those critics is they're posing as anti-interventionists. They're not. Everybody's saying, well, we're still going to have to intervene from the air. So what they're really telling mm. you is they're still comfortable violating Afghan airspace to conduct drone strikes. They're still comfortable with a near 24-7 air presence to monitor those threats. And they're still comfortable with us doing those things we need to do for self-defense. The reality of the United States in the past couple of years is we are spending as little um, uh, on defense as a percentage of GDP as we were in the years immediately preceding the peace dividend in 98, 99 and 2000. Again, the years immediately preceding 9-11. And so the metric for success, as, as, as you mentioned, is not length of time. It is were we able to deny safe haven um, and, and prevent attacks from being launched there. It, it's a really crude calculation, right? We, the idea that we would need to keep a presence there and sort of fund proxies to prevent an attack from happening. But I haven't heard a better solution um, on how to protect ourselves sustainably on the subcontinent in that thousands of square miles that may become a haven. Mm. I go back to 2011. 
and the Obama administration is, is decides they want to pull out of Iraq. They do so uh, largely. We see ISIS rise and start a caliphate. We're, we're left to go back and deal with them a few years later. I can't help but think we're going to be in this type of position in a few years where the, the same type of thing rises up. We are out of position to deal with it and we wind up paying in a really big way. Am I am I wrong to think this way or hopefully I'm just being I'm just being cynical and negative. I don't know. But I mean, it does seem like a repeat is 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 ahead. Yeah. And Stu, when we think about that, right, in, in Syria in particular, we are fortunate because um, as ISIS rose and Obama made that miscalculation, we did not see a homeland attack of significance. Um, but the reality is it, we could compare it as well to Yemen in 2009. Right. And, and Blink, Secretary Blinken on the Sunday shows used that example twice. But we should remind people that there were two major terrorist attacks launched from Yemen. One was what we call the underwear bombing right on Christmas Day. Right. Um, and then the other was several months later where um, uh, Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula put explosives on two cargo planes. They were armed. The timers were set. They were on their way to the United States and they were intercepted thanks to an intelligence tip. So if our metric for success are these countries from which we saw waves of terror attacks in Europe, i.e. in Syria and in Yemen, we have bigger problems with how we're approaching this. Mm. Jason Kilmeyer, counterterrorism and foreign policy expert. Jason, where's the best uh, way for people to find your work? Hey, Stu, I appreciate that. Folks, just follow me on uh, at Jason Kilmeyer on Twitter, and, and I've enjoyed sort of sharing my thoughts there, and I also appreciate the feedback I've gotten. Yeah, thank you so much. It's, your voice is very important right now as we try to figure out this crazy world. Jason, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Stu. If you're not of a certain age, you might not know this, but... There was a time that sports actually was about the game being played. And it wasn't about kneeling. It wasn't about whether you should be wearing a mask or be vaccinated. It wasn't about what your mental health situation was. It was just about the sport. People going for like trophies and stuff. It was pretty cool back then. We've changed that and decided to try something different. Naomi Osaka is the most recent example of this. And if you remember, she is a you know big time tennis star. Uh, was at a tournament, pulled out of a tournament because she said she didn't want to do the press conferences because it gave her anxiety. And so, and everyone prayed, what a brave decision. Oh, yes, what a brave decision. Now, look, there's tough things that go on in everybody's life. I'm not going to sit here and judge. Uh, I, you know, you, you don't have to, if you don't want to play tennis, you don't play tennis. I don't care. Uh, but the idea that you can get through this career without ever dealing with the media is pretty much impossible. I mean, it's a, it, the, you don't make millions of dollars when people don't know what's going on. So that's why people get obsessed with sports, because there's lots of media coverage. They all work together. So she recently came out at a press, press conference and she had a question and she wound up after hearing it, tried to answer it, then started crying and leave, left the stage uh, saying she was bullied. I want to read you the question. It's really incredible. Here's the question. Uh, it was a Cincinnati Inquirer's Paul Doherty. He asked Naomi Osaka, said, you're not crazy about dealing with us, you know, the media. Uh, you ha yet you have a lot of outside interests that are served by having a media platform. How do you balance the two? That's it. That's the, 
That's the question that made her cry. Uh, her agent uh, then came out and said, the bully at the Cincinnati Enquirer is the epitome of why player media relations are so fraught. Everyone on that Zoom will agree that his tone was all wrong and his sole purpose was to intimidate. Really appalling behavior. And this insinuation that Naomi owns, uh, owes her off-court success to the media is a myth. Don't be so self-indulgent. I'm sorry, if people didn't know she was winning the tennis tournaments, she wouldn't she wouldn't have giant uh, millions of dollars in earnings off court. That's not the way this works. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I just it just feels like we're going down this rabbit hole. and We're never coming out the other side. Back in a second. And someone had come into the office today. Very, very sweet. She said, I went to Krispy Kreme today. I've got this box of donuts. Here it is. Box of donuts for you. Well, did you like one? Now, after eating the entire dozen, I think she meant I should only, you know, have the one, not the one donut. She, I, she wanted me to have one donut, not one box. And that's my, that's my fault. Uh, but if you want to have a healthy snack uh, during the day, you need a built Bar. Having a built Bar will fill you up much more than a donut will fill you up. And it's much more healthy as well. 180 calories. Uh, and you can still get donut-type flavors, you know. Mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, cookies and cream, delicious flavors. And it's healthy for you. 180 calories, 4 to 5 grams of sugar, 4 to 5 net carbs. You wouldn't know that by tasting them, though. Uh, BuiltBar.com is the place to go. Built.com, exactly. I guess that's their new uh, URL. Built.com. Stu15 is the code. You get 15% off your first order. Uh, promo code Stu15. I mean, I might just recommend a Krispy Kreme flavor. Just throwing that out there. Stu15 is the code. 15% off at Built.com. B-U-I-L-T. Joining me once again is the tireless Jason Buttrell, head writer and researcher for Glenn Beck. Uh, by the way, speaking of Glenn Beck, the new special he has on tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern, right after this program. Don't miss it. It's small business criminals. COVID tyranny rises again. Uh, we, got, we got into COVID a little earlier in the show, but I want to kind of switch gears here and go to Afghanistan if we can. Yep. Um, I, I'm still perplexed by this. Uh, I, I can't believe it's happened. And one thing that struck uh, crossed my mind over the weekend was we were looking at this as here's a situation where this uh, this collapse has happened at breakneck speed. No one could believe that it was going to happen uh, this fast. You know, a couple days, Friday to a Sunday. Um, and we looked at this and like, wow, what a failure for Joe Biden. Wow, what a failure for the country. Go through the options here. But what we, I don't think, have really spent enough time considering is the is the idea that this isn't over this could get a lot worse there are still thousands of american people uh, in this zone against this terrorist group with really nowhere to go and s somehow have been left there as all of this went down i mean is it is that should we be thinking about the idea that this turns from from uh, from, you know, Vietnam to something much, much worse. Uh, yeah. Mogadishu, mm -hmm. um, where, you know, either troops or American citizens are seen with their lifeless bodies dragging, being drugged down the street. Mm -hmm. That's the worst case scenario. Um, that is that is the scandal right now. Now, we're, we're going to get to what the actual plan was and what word, you know, that they that they had or didn't have. Mm -hmm. um, the I keep looking for some leadership at all and some kind of word. But every single time an official steps to the mic, they look even dumber. 
it, everyone from Jake Sullivan, uh, the National Security Advisor, dumb. We got um, today <laughs> the epitome of dumb with Lloyd Austin mm. and uh, and General Milley. Did you? I don't know if you saw that one. Um, the clip. I did see a clip of that where he looked like he was. Uh, never, he didn't know the guy was even talking. Or the, it was a lady asking a question. He yeah. didn't even know what she was talking about. That was embarrassing. He just stood there. He looked left, right. He did not know. Yeah. And the question was. So he was trying to explain just exactly what you were talking about. What are we going to do about the? 10 to 15,000 U.S. citizens, U.S. citizens that are still holed up inside Kabul. And uh, his response was basically, well, we're working with the Taliban, yada, yada, yada. And so the journalist was like, so what you're saying is, is that it's uh, the safety of American lives is solely up to the whims of the Taliban. And if they decide to let them through. Yeah, that's when he was dumbfounded and he had because they have no plan. I think, holy crap, you're, now that you say it out loud, that does sound like a bad idea. Yeah, well, yeah <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, they have no plan. They don't know. Mm. Um, today we had the, uh, President Biden uh, step to the mic, and we thought he would say something about, you know, Afghanistan. He talked about masks, mask mandates, and going after red state governors. The moment he ended after mentioning, like, pushing businesses to do mandatory vaccines, he, but before he was even done, he was still reading the last two um, words, and he turned around and walked out. And you could hear the reporters screaming questions. Yeah. He will not answer because you know why? They don't know what the <laughs> hell they're going to do about it. Yeah. They really don't. Can I show you something that I yes. found on the internet? Mm -hmm. um, so this is a this is a graphic by uh, an intelligence analyst, a really respected guy on the Middle East. His name is Michael Pregent. And this was great. He mapped this out almost perfectly. Now, if you look at the red areas, this is all Taliban control. If you see the, uh, the triangles, those are checkpoints by the Taliban. Now that little, the blue areas is at the bottom in the south, that's the airport, mm -hmm. and the corridor that American citizens will have to go down. Multiple Taliban checkpoints surrounded by the enemy. So that very bluntly puts it right out in front of you. I mean, our people are behind enemy lines. 10 to 15,000, they have to make that way, which is probably over a kilometer. They have to somehow get through multiple checkpoints. Mm. Now, there's video out tonight, or right now, it's, it's tonight over there, of, um, of absolute chaos at these checkpoints. They're shooting, the Taliban's shooting in the air, trying to get people to leave. I mean, if you're an American citizen who has been told first to shelter in place, and now the new uh, message from the State Department is, we have flights taken off, try to make your way to the airport, and they, no joke, said this, we cannot guarantee their, your safety. Are you kidding me? These are our people. Today, uh, General Lloyd Austin, again, said that, um, you know, that they don't have the capability. He actually said this. They don't have the capability to go and get massive amounts of, uh, of people and bring them to safety. Bullcrap. Bullcrap. You're going to tell me the most powerful army or military the world has ever known can't go in and secure that little that corridor that we just showed you and bring our guys to safety. Drive them down. Get a few Hondas or something like that and drive them to the airport. You're telling me you can't pull that off. I, I really don't understand this. I mean, I, I, again, unless you just don't want to irritate the Taliban. It seems like they're just, like most of this strategy is like we don't want to upset these guys. So we're just going to not do anything. Obviously, you could take vehicles from from this that are marked with the U.S. flag and they're U.S. soldiers and they start driving down those streets. And I guarantee you, every single one of the military personnel on that uh, Air Force uh, on the uh, at the airport would do this because they want to save these people and would just go down there, drive straight down there and dare the Taliban to do something about it. You're going to stop us. We're going to bring in a lot more force and then we're going to start this whole thing up again. Yeah. And if, if there's any credibility behind a threat like that, it would work because they would say, OK, look, 
the Taliban, I mean, look, they want control of this country. You'd think there's a good chance that they want to avoid conflict with us just so we get out of there. And then they can take control and start doing all their raping that they have planned for next week. Um, I keep coming back to this thought. Uh, we had the Texas freeze here uh, a few months ago. Um, and there's this moment that everyone talked about with the, after the, the dust settled and I still had water clearing out of my house um, after, after from a, a burst pipe that there was this moment where we came within like six seconds of losing the electrical grid, grid for months. Right. The same thing. You go back to uh, the 2008 financial collapse when Lehman Brothers is going down. We came within minutes of the entire financial system collapsing, they say. I, th I feel like we're right there. We're in that moment right now. We are, you know, one, even if it's not a Taliban directive, a couple of rogue people who say, why isn't the Taliban doing anything about this? They're not going far enough. I've got my grenade launcher. I'm going to fire it into the middle of a crowd. One thing like that happens, and we could be losing, looking at hundreds, thousands of lives lost, civilian lives. I mean, this we are that close. We are teetering on the edge right now. Yeah, well, we are. That, that, that's how dire the situation is. Mm -hmm. um, and again, they don't seem to know how to respond to it. Why? They though? know they're at that the 11th hour. I don't, that's, I, I don't get it. You know, they keep on talking about, um, I think they said this was either today or yesterday. Oh, no, this was today. I think this was Lloyd Austin again. That um, they they were basically they don't know if they're going to be able to get the they said that they don't know if they'll be they'll keep evacuating people up until you know the zero hour the go the go time mm -hmm. um, but they couldn't you know actually say if they were going to be able to get everyone which I just just break that down a little bit it doesn't matter how many American citizens you have in Afghanistan they all come home all of them we all of them we we don't leave anyone behind and you know what and if if it's it sounds like they're trying to stick to that afghan or the, our uh you know withdrawal pro you know deal that we set with them that we would be out by a certain date um i'm sorry you blow past that date i don't care yeah. what agreement you have with the taliban yeah, you tell them screw off screw off There's get our be people more. yeah we're gonna start this whole thing up again if you don't get out of our way until we're ready to leave right we're the united freaking states of america I, I feel so sorry Ugh. for the for the soldiers that are there right now protecting that airport because you know every single one of them is screaming probably amongst each other mm -hmm. um saying our guys are there like they can look down that road. They're right there. Let us get them and bring them to safety. It reminds me, and this is kind of ironic, um, but it reminds me of that scene in 13 Hours, that Benghazi story, when the mm. CIA contractors are like, let us loose. This is what we do. Yeah, yeah. Our ambassador and other, you know, and, and other American citizens are right there. We can see where it's being attacked. Let us go do our job. And that was the exact same people that were in power then that are in power now. They're doing the same damn thing, Stu, and it pisses me off. Yeah, and the and the the risk here is much larger. There weren't a lot of people in Benghazi. Ten That's to fifteen thousand. Yeah, we're talking Gosh. thousands. Um, I keep coming back to like how bad this is and how almost inexplicable it is, the, the execution of this. And yeah, you can say like they didn't know this was going to happen this fast. And I think that's true. I, I, I mean, we did. We do have lots of reports now from intelligence that said they were warning and warning and warning and warning this could happen. I didn't necessarily expect it to happen over a weekend, though. Um, I thought it might take a month or two. I mean, we talked about that on the air. Can I can I address yeah, that really quick? Yeah, please do. Sorry to break in. But no. um, so today, uh, I think it was General Milley, yeah. uh, Joint Chairman Joint Chiefs. Um, they said that uh, that 
they got multiple different, it might have been Lodison, but um, they said that they got multiple scenarios of what might happen, and it was compiled by the intelligence community. Mm -hmm. And one of them was rapid takeover. The other ones were more rosy. So basically, just, yeah. what he's telling us there is they took the most politically rosy scenario for them, and they decided to go with that. So they Instead went with of planning the, for the worst case scenario. Right. right. They went with the yes men, you know, and the, the, well, the yes men went with the rosy uh, option instead of planning for and expecting the worst. That is not how you operate. I've, I was in the military. I've never seen them operate that way. You always plan for the worst, hope for the best, but mm -hmm. expect the worst. Because Joe Biden was ideologically committed to this and didn't care if this happened. I mean, that's all you can come back to. Yeah. I mean, going back just to the planning of this, because, you know, okay, the last couple of days went crazy and things happened. There was no fight. Maybe you'd expect them to fight back. Um, you know, this, it did go down in a strange way. But back up a second. We abandoned our air base our air base where we could have flown all of these people out of it. We, at, we evacuated the military before we evacuated the civilians. Yeah. What the hell is that? Yeah. Why would we not? Now, my argument would be to maintain a force there, um, a small force, but at Bagram Air Base and to control, uh, control our own embassy, among other things, but a small force. But even if you don't agree with that and you're ideologically against it, of course you get the civilians the hell out of there before and you control the, the means to evacuate people. We're relying on a, a single runway airport that the Taliban has surrounded? Yeah. That's our plan? I know. Why wouldn't we keep our air base at least until we were done? Yeah, the, well, the, why did they do any of the things that they did and why did they do it that way? Everything sounds so backward. Every time I hear about it, like yeah. you, the things you just pointed out, the very first step should have been to evacuate all the civilians, NGO personnel, all of them, all the American citizens should have been gone. Mm -hmm. Second step would have been, let's secure all of the, uh, all the equipment, the weapons, yeah. the vehicles, all that stuff, the million dollar drones that are now in the hands of the Taliban, all that stuff. That should have been C4'd or airlifted out. Mm -hmm. That would have been the second thing. Third thing is a big deterrent still in place. Maybe at Bagram Air Base yeah. or maybe a neighboring country, something like that, something close by to where if the Taliban start making quick, really quick gains, something crazy happens, you can strike and, and, and at least slow them down. None of that was done. Yeah. Instead, military personnel started coming out. Daily, Daily Beast reported that um, the Biden administration evacuated Afghan um, uh, contractors that were or contractors that were working on the Afghan uh, Air Force's uh, aircraft. Yeah. So they and couldn't even them lift from returning. Yeah. They so the Afghan Air Force couldn't even get up to speed and go and attack the Taliban that was because they already took the personnel out. I, I, Nothing makes sense. I, we're I've being led it. by morons. I've never seen anything like this. this is, again, I've said this before. This is the biggest catastrophe in leadership that I've ever seen ever in my seen. entire life. As, Same. For, as, a, as a president in the United States, I've never seen anything like this. I've been through Democratic presidents. I've been critical of them. I've never seen anything like this. No. I, I can't believe this is happening. and I can't believe the way that it's going down. I could keep going, but I, we, we got to get out of here. Uh, Jason Buttrell, a uh, new Glenn Beck special is tonight. It's going to be a good one, too. This is one we're really excited about. 9 p.m. Eastern, it's small business criminals. COVID tyranny rises again. Talking to uh, business owners in, in California. Right in their, in their businesses. Yeah, really while cool. they're there. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty cool uh, thing, and uh, I want to make sure that you watch that tonight. BlazeTV.com slash do is the place to go to get your membership. Jason, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. You can always check out the show on podcasts every single day. Uh, reviews are always appreciated. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. This one comes in. I am deducting stars. 10 minus stew equals five. 
five stars, it's whatever. Wow, just, I mean, the eloquence of not only the stupid host of the show, but also the audience is incredible. Uh, by the way, remember, when you review this podcast, uh, you have to remember uh, that it not only helps us, but it hurts others. And that's really the most important thing. Studiosmerch.com for all the merch. We will see you tomorrow.